Have you been to an AA or Al-Anon convention? Welcome to episode 283 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Eric, Carla, Susan, and Mary. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Eric, Carla, Susan, and me for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with a seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can be recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I wanted to talk briefly, uh, sort of a, a trip report, if you will. I spent the weekend going to the March Roundup AA convention with Al-Anon Participation in Detroit, Michigan. I thought I'd talk a little bit about what happened there, what I found there, and maybe encourage you to attend such a thing in your own neighborhood, in your own area. So my wife and I, along with one of her friends, set off Friday afternoon to downtown Detroit. We don't find ourselves in downtown Detroit too often, so a little apprehensive, I guess, about things like driving and parking. But it actually worked very easily. The hotel was right by the freeway exit, and there was parking pretty close nearby. And since it was evening, Friday evening, we even got a a reasonably good parking rate. So that was a good start. We went into the hotel where there was um, no real signage directing us where to find the convention. We had to ask one of the hotel employees, and he says, oh, take the elevator up to the terrace level to TR. So we did that, and then it was very obvious we were in the right place. We got our registration, filled out our name badges. They let you write whatever name, et cetera, you want on your own badge so that you can be as anonymous or not, I guess, as you want, right? And then we looked at the schedule and said, well, what do we want to go see? Actually, my wife and her friend had looked at the schedule before, and they said, we want to go to this thing called Listening to the Wind. And we're like, well, what's that about? No idea. Well, it turns out the theme of this year's roundup was the big book, 80 Years, 71 Languages. And so every workshop title apparently was the name of a chapter from the big book. So Listening to the Wind is one of the stories in in the book. It's a story about a Native American woman who, I guess, goes pretty far down and then finds recovery in AA. The way it was structured was there was a panel of four speakers, each of whom spoke about what they identified with in the story, what they found in the story. And I think every one of them started out by saying, well, I mean, I didn't identify with the details because, say, I'm not a woman, I'm not Native American, I was never a prostitute, but what I identified with was, and and I remember the first guy, you know, who started out basically that way, uh, said he really identified with the feelings that she expressed, the feelings of not belonging, the feelings of, you know, where alcohol made her feel like she fit in. And, and that sort of thing. And so each of the four gave a different perspective on the story. And, you know, I haven't read the story, but I got somewhat of a picture of, of what it was about. And more importantly, how it spoke to several different people in their own recovery. It was a good start to the evening, I guess. And then uh, my wife and her friend went to a speaker who was talking about the doctor's opinion, or maybe it was a panel. I'm not positive. I decided to go to an Elanon talk titled How Elanon Works, Steps 1, 2, 3, which again was a panel 
with three people speaking about you know their own experience with steps one, two, and three. And interestingly, for Al-Anon, all three of the speakers were men. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's not what you normally see in an Al-Anon meeting, and it's not normally what I would expect from an Al-Anon panel. It was a good panel. And then my wife and her friend came by, and, and they said they had really enjoyed the uh, the panel on the doctor's opinion. So we both, uh, we all got something good out of it. And then it was time for the evening speaker. It was an AA speaker, Larry T. from Long Beach, California. Although I saw some CDs at the sale table, which I think is the same Larry T. Uh, from Torrance. Now, Torrance is like 10 or 15 miles from Long Beach. So that is probably the same guy. He was outstanding. If you get a chance to hear Larry T., I highly recommend you go. His talk was interesting. It was vibrant. It was full of emotion. His voice broke up any number of times during during his talk. He talked a lot about what he was feeling and not a whole lot about the details, which I think makes for really a good recovery talk because, you know, it's the it's what's inside that I think both takes people down into addiction and brings them out. We were laughing, we were crying, we were applauding. It was it was really, really good talk. That's been my experience with the, I guess I've been to the Roundup three times now with the speakers that they get is they are inevitably, invariably good. Saturday, I actually didn't go to the Roundup. My wife and her friend went because I was going to a wedding of a pair of, of friends in the program. That kind of trumped going to the going to the convention. As it happens, the wedding reception was about a block away from where the roundup was happening, so that was kind of funny. I didn't know most of the people there because they were they were a lot of family and not very many uh, recovery friends. But there were two other. Well, there were actually there were four other friends from recovery who were at the wedding. Two of them were not able to go to the reception, and so. You know, we almost had ourselves a little meeting at one point when we were standing around talking before the dinner, uh, and that was that was very nice. And one of one of those Alan and friends I haven't seen in quite a while because they had moved out of town and were just back for the wedding. So it was good to to be able to catch up as well, and to have somebody that we knew. And I met some new people. And I'm, you know, coincidence, right? Is it coincidence? Hmm. Coincidence. I met on the bus back from Detroit back to Ann Arbor. I met. A young woman who knew my daughter when they were both in high school. I was like, oh, how about that? You never know, do you? On Saturday, though, my wife told me about a couple of talks they went to that she really got a lot out of that really enjoyed. She said there there was a panel called The Family Disease, which was a family, a father, a mother, and two adult children talking about the way that alcoholism had affected their family. And I haven't heard it. She said it was great. So I bought the CD so I can listen to it later. And then the Saturday speak Saturday afternoon was the Al-Anon speaker, who was Jenny P. from Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And again, uh, my wife said she was really good. So I bought her CD. And I'll be listening to it and uh, well, might be able to share it here. We'll see. So Sunday, we set our clocks ahead, got up early, Dragged ourselves out of bed, right? Back down to Detroit for the Sunday morning session. And we all went to the uh, Al-Anon session again. It was a workshop titled Let the Past Be the Past. And it was presented by Jenny P., who had been the speaker the day before. It was about, you know, how do you move forward? How do you 
find out who you are instead of who other people want you to be or who you think you need to be for other people. Jenny talked for a little bit and she handed out some papers with uh, a bunch of stuff on it. And she said, okay, I want you to break up into groups of five and pick one or more of the topics on these pieces of paper and talk about it. So we did that. The main topic that the group I was in picked to talk about was about choice, about how we can have a choice and how we can have a choice about our attitudes and our actions. And there was a lot of a lot of good sharing in the circle there. And then we came back together at the end and finished with the, every single session finishes with the prayer, either the Lord's Prayer or the Serenity Prayer, depending on the preference, I guess, of the leader of the session. And then there was another AA speaker, Lillian D. from Austin, Texas. Lillian was a, a real contrast to Larry. She was soft-spoken, gentle, but deep. I mean, both of them went deep. She she went deep in a different way. Again, very inspiring with her story of, of recovery. And that was it. That was our weekend. And we came home and like took a nap, you know. But I always get a lot out of, of going to these conferences, conventions, whatever the heck they are, roundups. This year, nobody came up and said hi. So I guess none of you were there. Or if you were, you didn't see me, which is certainly possible. I wasn't there on Saturday, which was the day that I think had the largest attendance. So the rest of my week, actually Saturday morning, I went to my Saturday morning meeting. We were on step nine. And the first person who shared, shared about making amends to herself. And so I got a little bit inspired by that and shared about that one of the sort of amends that I need to make to myself is is to keep myself healthy. And I had just come back from the weekend with my parents. And so I think both physical and mental health were definitely on my mind at the moment. And so we'll go back a little further. Last weekend, my wife and I went to be with my parents. We were there for four days, got there Thursday evening and left Tuesday morning to provide, well, to provide care and to provide respite for my brother who was going to a wedding in California and certainly needs respite from being a full-time caregiver. And there are you know, hired caregivers who come in in the evening and the morning, and there were a couple of nights when there was no caregiver overnight, and so we got what uh, I guess we call the adult monitor. You know, it's a baby monitor, but we're monitoring the adults so that when somebody needed help in the middle of the night, we could get up and and go down and do it. And we could sleep, but I did not sleep restfully because I was had sort of one ear open to the monitor so that when, when something came up, I would be able to get up and go help. And it did happen. You know, I got to see a little bit more of my parents as they are now to see, and this was really, really good for me to see that my mother's physical health has rebounded a lot since I saw her in the fall after she, when she was still in rehab for her, her fall you know, her broken leg. That helped me a lot because I had been really concerned about how she was doing, how she wasn't doing. I didn't know. You know, she's still weak. She still needs help getting around, but definitely better. I think mentally they both are are where they are. I don't think that's really changed much. I think I got a little more insight into, you know, I spoke about how my father pulls out the photo album. Well, I realized when we were visiting this time that the reason he's doing that is because he needs it to help him remember what happened. You know, when, when you get some compassion, some insight like that, it it really makes a difference. And at least for me, it makes a difference in how I react, how I feel uh, when that happens. 
And I still get a little bit of that, oh, here we go again. But understanding why he's doing it makes it a lot easier to to let go of that feeling and to be there while he, he talks about the pictures and what, what they're about. And having been there just this morning, Monday, I had my annual physical, which went pretty well, but I did have a conversation with my doctor about, all right, I'm concerned. Both my parents have dementia. You know, do I already have two strikes against me here? And what what might I want to do ahead of time? You know, what can I do to maybe find out if this is going to be a problem for me? Probably is. Uh, and what can I do to, uh, you know, reduce the uh, the impact, reduce, uh, you know, to make it longer? I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm grasping here. But one of the things she suggested was that from my description of my father, she thought it might not be Alzheimer's, it might be something else, and that I should talk to my siblings who may have gotten some insight from his doctors about whether this looks like Alzheimer's or something else. So that's that's an interesting question and one that I hadn't thought of. And if I hadn't brought the question up while I was sitting there with my doctor, that wouldn't have come to me. And so, again, I find out that stuffing things, not asking questions, not speaking up could be harmful. Or to put it another way around, if I do ask questions, if I do speak up, maybe I will get some answers that will, if not reduce my anxiety, might uh, give me a different way to look at it and a way to get some more facts that then might reduce my anxiety or might not. But I, you know, knowing, knowing what's coming, I think, is often better than not knowing. All right. Well, I have rambled enough here. Diana called. She left a voice share about a recent experience she had with anxiety. So here's Diana. Hi, everybody. It's Diana from the West Coast. I'll keep this short. This podcast helps me to regain perspective and balance. I realized this week specifically that I attempt to control outcomes, events, and people around me, that I deal with fear and anxiousness. So this podcast really helped me, along with some slogans during this week. So I kind of realized that I was really, really restless, going 100 miles per hour, school full-time, you know, work, certificate on the side, kids ballet, all that stuff. I found myself at work a few nights ago. I was here from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. All the lights were out except for my little area, and, and I had a moment where the rubber band just kind of was about to snap. I hadn't raised awareness to this prior to check in to see how I was feeling. Was I overdoing it? And why was exactly was I doing all this? But at that moment, I definitely hit my boundary and I hit my wall and started to ask myself, am I overdoing because I want something specific? because I feel genuinely happy or because I'm afraid? Am I creating drama? Like, And my obvious answer was that I'm afraid and that I'm anxious. My higher power did kick in this week when a job didn't go through, and it was my way of hearing from heaven that I needed to slow down. I think when I take my time to do some inventory, there's a core belief existing inside that the world really is dark. And that if I don't spend every single minute forcing things, that I will once again feel like I'm a victim to those injustices back there. So it's an attempt to 
control the world around me, but it's also some beliefs that I have about the world. So this, this all comes down to character defects that needs to be challenged, like the fear that needs to be confronted, that I'm safe, I have a safe life, and I have a good life, and that's true. I'm married, have a family, good job, suburban wife. And so not allowing those, I guess, those core beliefs to continue to start to challenge them. And then also forcing myself to slow down and check in. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I pushing myself so hard? So here are some slogans that really spoke to me this week. I don't need to tackle all my problems at once. Easy does it. Keep it simple. Progress, not perfection. I'm a total perfectionist, so that one is it's really good for me. And then outcome with no expectation. Because sometimes when I stretch myself too far and that rubber band goes so far, I know there's an expectation that I have while I'm doing that. And then, you know, it's just an unbalanced life. And so... Anyway, I wanted to share some of those thoughts and feelings around control and worrying and fear. And I would love to um, to hear an episode regarding all of this. But thank you guys so much for letting me share. Bye. And thank you for that share, Diana. We're still looking forward, I think, probably next weekend with Eric to talking about acronyms and alliterations. Acronyms like Q-tip, quit taking it personally, or alliterations like the four M's, which is something like managing, manipulation, martyrdom, and mothering. Not in that order. If you have your favorite, there's still time for you to email or, or call and talk about your favorite acronym, your favorite alliteration, and why. Really love to hear your voice. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734 734- 707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. All of the ways of getting in touch with us are on the website at therecovery.show slash contact. Tap or click on the contact link in the menu at the top of the page. And our website, as I said, is therecovery.show. We, we have all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode, which can be found at therecovery.show slash episode number. So for this one, therecovery.show slash 283, where you can find also this song that was suggested by Sharon. She writes, under the banner of encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, why had I never fully noticed the lyrics of this song before? The song is by Sia. It's called Chandelier. And here's some of the lyrics. Party girls don't get hurt. Can't feel anything. I push it down. Push it down. I'm the one for a good time call. Phone's blowing up. I feel the love. Feel the love. I feel the love. Sun is up. I'm a mess. Gotta get out now. Gotta run from this. Here comes the shame. Here comes the shame. One, two, three. One, two, three. Drink. One, two, three. One, two, three. Drink. One, two, three. One, two, three. Drink. Throw them back till I lose count. I don't know about you, but that just sounds like the alcoholic experience. You know, can't feel anything. Push it down. Push it down. I heard that so much in the in the talks this weekend, and uh, and the shame. So check that out at therecovery.show/slash two eighty three.
And we got some emails. Jen writes, Hi, Spencer. Thank you so much for what you do. I stumbled upon your podcast just over a year ago, and it has made a tremendous positive impact on my life and well-being. I won't go into details, but I never thought I would be where I am today if anyone had asked 13 months ago. Hearing that first podcast set the ball rolling. Thank you. I heard the latest episode this morning and heard how you were about to head to see your parents. I also listened to the Dancing with Dementia episode and could hear, at least I thought I could hear, pain and sadness as you described your experiences and struggles in dealing with parents with dementia. I experienced a bit of this with my grandmother, who had dementia and renal failure and then a stroke which worsened the dementia to the point she didn't really know where she was, how old she was, or what was going on. She often failed to recognize her family, which could be painful. It was hard for all of us who loved her so very much and who had been used to engaging with her in her usual ways. A few months before her stroke, I had been to an art museum and I saw a photography exhibit on families. I was so deeply struck by one photograph that I welled up with tears and had to stay put and not speak for a bit. Otherwise, I would have just started sobbing. I ended up taking a picture of the photo and the description. The images of a man holding an older woman in his arms in a swimming pool. With eyes closed, her face points up toward the sun. She looks so very content. The description indicates that the woman is the photographer's mother who had advanced dementia, and that while she may not have been what she once was, she could still enjoy the warm sun on her face and the weightless sensation of floating in water. As I saw my grandmother's dementia worsening and then really take a dive after the strokes, my mind kept coming back to this image. My grandmother was still there, and regardless of what she could not do, she could still experience joy, sensations, and love. After the stroke, my grandmother went to hospice for three weeks before passing. And in that time, we showered her with loves and hugs and foot rubs and shoulder massages and manicures. We wheeled her to the garden for sun and fresh air when we could, and we brought her flowers and balloons. We played music and sang to her. We even had an impromptu birthday party when she thought it was her birthday. Seeing her decline was so hard, but when I was able to keep this image in my mind and remember that right now her time was about feeling loved, it made it a lot easier. Wishing you peace and an enjoyable time with your parents. Take care, Jen. And thank you so much, Jen, for that for that image and for those words. Thank you. Jennifer writes, Spencer, thank you for the episode 280 about Essanon. I'm currently attending CODA meetings. My first meeting was September 2018, and I can relate to most of the Al-Anon conversations that you have. I have a more difficult time when I apply some of your forgiveness to my partner and to myself. I believe he is most likely addicted to sex, and he doesn't believe that he is. So I'm working my own program, and I have gained so much strength from it. I would love to hear more experiences from Essanon and Coda. I love when you have a guest on your show. I appreciate the discussion and different viewpoints. I especially love when you have a discussion point like, do you like yourself, and you have a guest speaker. I think for those broad topics, the show works best with two voices. I would love to have an episode about sponsors, how to ask somebody what sponsors do, what makes a successful sponsor. I'm struggling asking someone to be a sponsor in my meetings. I'm afraid of being told no and also having unrealistic expectations for a sponsor. I'm so thankful for your program. Thank you for getting me through my week when I'm too frightened, doubtful, and depressed to go to a CODA meeting. You're in my ear and touching my heart when I need it the most. Your show keeps me going. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, Jennifer. We do have a couple of early episodes about sponsorship. There's one titled Appropriately Sponsorship. That's episode 25. And then there's a sponsorship roundtable where we had um, several Al-Anon members talk about their experience with sponsorship. And that's episode 32. And we'll put links to those in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 283. Or you can go to therecovery.show slash 25 and therecovery.show slash 32. 
to go straight there. And you can probably find them in your podcast app, but you'll have to like scroll and scroll and scroll. Also, you know, I do like having a guest on my show. Sometimes I just not able to make it happen. I, I totally, I like the discussion. I like having different viewpoints. I like not having the monologue. So yeah, I, I keep trying to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. So Fred writes, Dear Spencer, I recently discovered your podcast and have become a regular listener. I am writing specifically to express my thanks for episode 280 on SNN. I've been in recovery and treatment for sex addiction for 10 months. My wife has attended SNN as well as a therapy program. We've also attended chapter 9 meetings. My recovery journey began with an intensive rehab program. While I was in rehab, the World Health Organization acknowledged compulsive sexual behavior as an addiction and mental health issue in the ICD-11. Prior to my treatment, I had no idea that such a diagnosis or treatment existed. In my recovery program, I could not help but notice how many of my fellows were also in AA, Al-Anon, or other 12-step programs. I would conservatively estimate this to be in the range of 50%. Many of these individuals, both male and female, have represented that sex addiction is the underlying addiction that they have had to deal with and often describe it as the driver of their other addictions. As I observe our culture, the news, and the growth of my fellowship in the short time of my recovery, it seems to me that people are suffering from sex addiction in epidemic proportions. As it is so deeply a shame-based illness, it is particularly difficult for people to seek help. The only solution to this is to talk about it. I appreciate that you have included this disease in your podcast and hope you will continue to do so. Sincerely, Fred C. And, and thanks, Fred, for writing. I'm hearing this message from people like, we want more. And as I said you know, it's not my program. I don't have experience in it. The only way that we can get, you know, CODA experience, that we can get SNN experience is for you to step up and say, I will be a guest. I will talk about my experience, whoever you are. And I'm not saying Fred or Jennifer needs to do that. Okay. That's the only way I'm going to get those voices in the show or, you know, adult children, like the episode with Emily a couple of years ago now, I guess, about adult children. I'm not an adult child very much. I'm not in the Adult Children of Alcoholics program, so I can't really speak about it. Another email. Hello, I came across your podcast this morning. I'm struggling with accepting the outcome of a relationship. I recently started dating someone who is already in recovery, not at his one year yet. We got into a couple of disagreements, and the last one resulted in him wanting to end things and still be friends while he focuses on his sobriety. I can't seem to wrap my head around it. If you said I meant a lot to you and continue to tell me how amazing I am, why can't you give it a chance? Is it him being selfish? Or am I being selfish? I just can't seem to understand what I possibly can do to show him this is a fixable issue. Any advice would be great. Thank you, Anita. Well, I can't give advice. I haven't been there. And even if I had been, my advice might not be yours. But I do know that the AA program encourages people to focus on their recovery. I've heard it said many times that anything you put before your recovery, you will lose because you will lose your recovery. So he probably is getting that message from his AA friends, from his sponsor. I think it's a legitimate message. It's it's a hard one for those of us who are not in the addiction, who are not in recovery from that addiction. It's a hard one for us to hear. But I've heard it over and over again from people in those programs that if they put something else in front of their recovery, they're very likely to lose their recovery. I have a friend in the program who who recently had this similar experience, and I'm going to reach out and see if my friend might be willing to talk about it. Maybe stay tuned. I would encourage you to focus on your recovery, I guess, also. 
An anonymous listener wrote, Your podcast on trust couldn't have come at a better time for me. I've been struggling with trust within my home group for a long while. It's been very painful for me and has almost caused me to leave the program altogether. I've been with the same group for over three years and have formed close friendships. I've lost respect for some of the members of my group, and as a result, I've completely closed off emotionally. I am the type of person who is very loyal once I get attached, so I stay where I shouldn't far too long. One day, I sat down with my meeting and was overcome with negative emotions, and I clammed up and was unable to share. It was an accumulation of emotions I've been feeling for a long time that had come to a head. This is when I knew I didn't feel safe anymore. I knew I had to honor myself and walk away. What I experienced was extreme judgment from some of the senior members toward other people in our group. I've seen them ridicule others behind their back, even newcomers who are in extreme emotional pain, who are looking for support from what is supposed to be a loving program. They didn't witness the remarks made by others after the meeting, but I did, and it was coming from someone who holds an important position within our group, who people look up to. I thought to myself that maybe I should ask for a group conscience meeting and discuss the issue, but I don't know if that would help or make things worse. Either way, I would still feel unsafe and not want to continue with that group. I hold a position within the group myself and am now stepping down. I'm grieving the loss of the close friendships I've made, but I know it's the right thing for me to do to move on. I've spent my life being codependent, and it's time for me to honor myself and remove myself from toxic situations. I'm sure there's a healthy group out there where I can feel safe to be me and to share my experience, strength, and hope with people who accept others for who they are. I'm thankful for your continued work with the podcast, Spencer. You're helping so many people. I appreciate your insight and your integrity. You're a steward of the program, and I feel you truly exemplify what Al-Anon stands for. It amazes me how many people you are able to reach with this platform. I believe in this program, and because of your podcast, many, many people are able to learn about it and benefit from it. Man, that's a, that is a rough place to be, to have your meeting kind of go to a place that is toxic for you. I don't know what I would do in that, in that situation. I know that I've left some meetings, but not one that I had been at for a long time. I mean, I left a meeting I'd been at for a long time, but not for that kind of reason. You know, but you do need to take care of yourself. You need to put your recovery first. And if you're not able to, you know, get recovery from that meeting, then I guess that that's the right thing to do. Rose commented on episode 161, which Jen also mentioned. She commented, what an inspiring and energizing song. The story behind it is sad in that people were killed, yet joyful in that the young girl did walk again and dance down the road. Thank goodness for friends who encourage us on our journey. And she's referring to the song, which you can listen to on the page at therecovery.show slash 161. The song is titled, Let It Be a Dance. It's by Rick Mastin. And there is a little story about how the song came to be on that page. So you can go read the story and, and listen to the song. I've known that song for a long time. I did not know the story behind it until quite recently. And I've always loved the song. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.